Would you grab your Bibles, John 12, let's read our text and then you can have a seat. And kids, you get me today. Amen. I didn't hear any kids saying amen, but anyway. John 12. So we finish the public ministry of Jesus today in regard to his teaching. And next week we will begin to move to the upper room where he is um, with those in John chapter 13 through 17. John 12, 44 through the end of the chapter. So Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Now the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. What to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. You may be seated. The word essence speaks of the intrinsic nature or the indispensable quality of something that determines its value and its beauty and magnificence and character. So as we walk through this today, we're going to talk about the essence of our salvation, the beauty and the majestic nature of our salvation that has come to us through Christ. So what we just read there are the last public words that Jesus speaks. We're not totally for sure where he speaks this because we saw a few weeks ago that he made this declaration. Then it says that he stepped away from them and he removed himself from them. But at some particular point in time, likely this is on Thursday, that he makes some declaration somewhere in the midst of the people, one last public thing calling them to listen to and remember all the things that he has been communicating. Some of y'all are new to the church. They call me the box man. And so I got my boxes out. We've had them stored away. And so from about John chapter 5 through John chapter 6, Jesus began to make some really bold, strong declarations about who he is and so we began to build on the stage each week and add to this and so the boxes that are out today um, two sections over here and one here are all of these affirmations that Jesus um, began to say about who he is and we have one last section of boxes that we're going to build today to remind us um, of one more basically all of this is a summary of all of these of what he's been saying since John chapter 5, and a little bit even echoes back to John chapter 3. So as we move from the public ministry of Jesus to the private ministry, or his private teaching in the upper room in John chapter 13, John gives us this insight to the last thing that Jesus said publicly. And I think it's important that we shouldn't miss a word. These are his last words somewhere near Jerusalem. Not missing a word, for they are incredibly important and significant. These are kind of a last-ditched effort to say, 
I have come to be the light. I'm calling you to believe in me. But they are also not just a call to believe, but it is a warning about judgment. That the words from his life and the words that he has taught and the proclamation of the gospel will bring judgment upon people who reject those words. And so, as Jesus speaks a final public notice to the people, we should give them great priority. They're not words that we ought to put in the trash bin. We shouldn't put them in the shredder. We should just carefully examine what He is communicating to us. These words that we're going to look at, none of them are new. He has been saying them since John chapter 5, some of them multiple times, giving affirmation to who He is and who the Father is. And so because these are such solid, important words, we're going to give um, some good, careful attention to them. And so I want to begin today by talking about that we must, that as we believe in Him, we are believing not only in Christ, but we are also believing in the Father as well. Look with me in verse 44, and let's talk about the true essence of believing. So Jesus, it makes sense, is going to be loud here, last public uh, teaching, last public declaration. So He cried out and He said, Whoever believes in Me believes not in me, but in Him who sent me. So again, one last clear call to faith in Him. He continues to see all the unbelief around Him. He has done incredibly good for three years now. And He gives this one last God-centered message, calling them to come to faith in Him and wanting the people to understand who had come to be in their midst and who they needed to trust in and believe him. And he wanted nobody on this day to miss the message as he began to proclaim one last time. The essence of our faith rests in the reality that our faith must be in him alone. So the great quality of our faith is not because of us, the great quality of our faith is because of him and because of who he is and what he does in our life. And a belief does not happen, then ultimately everything else does not matter. And so he cries out in a loud voice and he says, whoever believes, not in, who, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but, but in him who sent me. So here's what Christ is saying. That if we believe in him and, and we believe that he's the salvation, that, that his blood, his death, is the hope of our lives, That as we do that, not only is there belief and affirmation of who Christ is, but we are affirming the one who sent Christ. So this is a belief in Jesus. It is also a belief in the Father and in the Father's work. Go back a couple of chapters to John chapter 10. I want you to look at two verses with me just for a moment. And we could go back to John chapter 5. This is kind of originally what started all of the stuff, but... He has been saying these words over and over. John 10, verse 30, short verse. Jesus says, I and the Father are one. Go to verse 38 of John 10. Let's read 37 and 38, but 38 is the emphasis. If I'm not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, in other words, if I'm doing the works of the Father, even though you do not believe in me, believe in the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the who? The Father. So here it is, Jesus again saying this, 
If you're believing me as the Savior of the world, and I'm the one who can rescue you from your sin, not only is your belief connected to me, but you are believing in the Father who sent me to do this great work. And so the union between the Father and the Son is so completely, intimately connected that there cannot be faith in Jesus unless there is faith in the Father as well. You also can't do this, and, and biblically it's backed up. You can't say, well, I reject the Father, but believe in Jesus. You also can't say, well, I believe, in, I believe in the Father, but I reject Jesus. That cannot be done. As a matter of fact, this is what it says, John eight eighteen. So they were speaking to Jesus, and so they said to him, therefore, where is your Father? And Jesus answered them and said, you neither know me nor my Father, for if you knew me, you would know my Father also. So Christ in this last great teaching says this. When you believe in me, you are believing in him who sent me. And the connection between the two is so intimate, so tight, that they are indispensable. You cannot separate them. And so Jesus, again, from John chapter 5 all the way up to now, in John chapter 12, has been affirming his nature with the Father. Let me just give you a few of those. If you're taking notes, you can write the references down. John 5, 17, Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. John 5, 20, For as the Father loves the Son, and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He show them, so that you may marvel. John ten thirty seven. If I am not doing the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. So not only did Jesus and the Father do the same works, but the words that Jesus speaks that we treasure, that are so important to us, they are the Father's words as well. They, they, are, they both own these words. So listen to this, John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge and my judgment is just, because I seek not my will, but the will of him who sent me. John eight thirty eight. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And again, John twelve forty nine that we are looking at today. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the father who sent me has himself given me as his son a commandment, so that you may understand or excuse me, um, what to say. The command is what to say and what to speak. So I want to make sure we get this and understand it. Jesus, for him, it was really vital and important that all of us understand this reality. Our salvation is deeply rooted in the Trinity. Now, he's not speaking here of the Spirit, but we know from John chapter 3 is that the Spirit is, is key to our new birth, our being born again. And so the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are all at work in our salvation. But here Jesus is wanting the Jews who are listening this one last time to say to them, listen, if you're believing me as the Savior, you are believing Him who sent me. 
And so our salvation is wrapped up in the reality that the essence of our faith is grounded in the Holy Spirit. It is grounded in the Father who sent the Son. It is grounded in the Son who came and walked in obedience and who died. And so Jesus, again, last public words is saying the true essence of believing is you believe in Jesus and then as you do that, you are believing in the Father as well. Let's look at the second one. The second essence of our faith is connected that when we Not only is our belief when we believe in Jesus, we are believing in the Father. Then Jesus says this, that when you see me, guess who you also see? You are seeing who the Father is. You're seeing exactly what the Father is like. You are hearing exactly the words that I'm communicating to you are the Father's words. So look at 45. So whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So Jesus here is giving a very definitive statement for us. That it, something that he's been saying all along. As a matter of fact, all of the controversy from the religious leaders to Jesus started with this statement. If you remember in John chapter 5, there's a man who for 38 years has been paralyzed. Jesus just walks up to him on the Sabbath day, tells him to pick up his mat and walk. His legs are restored. He's done this on the Sabbath day. And so the man gets in trouble. And then they find out... Um, that Christ is the one who did this. And this is where everything began, where they wanted to kill him. John chapter 5, verse 16. So this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things, doing good to people, healing on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them saying this, My father is working until now, and because he's working, I am working because I do what he does. And this is why the Jews... We're seeking all the more to kill him because not only was Jesus, it says, breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God, listen to this, his own father, making himself equal with God, with the Father. Now, in our world today, you will hear skeptics say, well, Jesus didn't really, Jesus didn't really claim to be God. Well, it's interesting that the religious leaders 2,000 years ago who understood the Scripture, that when they heard Jesus speak, that's exactly what they heard. He is calling himself God. So for them, I, I buy, not, not our world today in its perspective, I buy what those on that day, they knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And they had incredible trouble with it, but we, we affirm it and we glory in that reality this morning that the Trinity is involved in every aspect of our salvation. That is why boys and girls, students and adults in the room this morning, let me tell you why there's great hope in the security of our salvation, is that the Father, Son, and the Spirit, all three were intimately involved in our salvation. And so therefore, as they are intimately involved in the birthing of our salvation, they are intimately involved in the keeping of our salvation and the securing of our salvation. And so the only way for Jesus to consistently say this over and over and to say that it's true is that it is exactly what is true, and that is that His essence, His nature was absolutely equal with the Father. Now, I have been walking with the Lord for a long time. I've been preaching for a long time. And I'll stand before you today 
to say this, I absolutely affirm every aspect of what we affirm in regard to the Trinity. And yet my mind is continually blown and sometimes cannot comprehend the depth of it. One God manifesting Himself in three persons. These are not three manifestations. These are three persons. Father, Son, and the Spirit. And I want to talk about that just for a moment. The Bible affirms that the Father is God, the Son is equal to the Father, He is God, and that the Holy Spirit is equal to the Father and the Son, and He is God. All at the same time, three persons, one unique nature, one God. So let me talk about that just for a moment. We read in John's, as it begins this gospel, in chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Notice this, he's talking about two different people. He was in the beginning with God or with the Father. So the fact that Jesus was with God distinguishes him from the Father. But the statement that says the Word was God shows that Jesus is fully God. So the Bible, many verses, I'm just going to give you a couple of them this morning, affirm that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are indeed equal and they are completely and wholly God. Go to John 17, just right next to you just for a second there. I want to show you something in John 17. The Father is fully God. Here's a verse that affirms that. These are words of Jesus that John records for us. And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So Jesus is affirming that his Father is the true God. He is God. Now, John chapter 1, verse 18, if we go all the way back to the beginning of John's gospel, let's look at that for a moment. This is a Trinitarian verse affirming that Jesus is God. Verse 18, John chapter 1. So look what John writes. No one, nobody has ever seen God, John writes. But then he writes this, well, but one. (laughs) The only, then he says, the only God, he's differentiating persons here, who is at the Father's side, which is who is referencing who? Jesus. The only person who has ever seen the Father is the one who is at the Father's side. And look what it said. He has made him known. So this verse from John is affirming that Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, He is God. Then you go to the book of Acts, chapter 5, you will remember this. There's a a husband and wife couple. Their name's Ananias and Sapphira. They own some land. They sell the land. They bring it and pretend like they've brought all of the money, But they only brought a portion of the money, but pretended like they had brought all of it. And so Peter, at the prompting of the Spirit, knows what's happening. And listen to what Peter says, affirming that the Holy Spirit is God. So in Acts 5, 3, it says, but Peter said, Ananias, listen to these words from Peter. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived 
this deed in your heart. Now listen to these words. He said in, in verse 3, Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit. Now he says this, you have lied not to man, Peter says, you have lied to God. So Peter is affirming that the Holy Spirit is who? He's God. So this, And I, I, could, I could spend a lot of time up here today going over this. The New Testament affirms this teaching that kind of blows our mind. It's kind of hard to wrap our mind around that the Father, Son, and the Spirit are all God, and yet they are one person. As a matter of fact, the demons believe in the Trinity. They believe in one God. James wrote this. You believe that God is one? You do well, he says. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. So, while it's a mystery and it's a a majestic reality, we affirm it this morning, our salvation, Jesus, as He makes this, this last public statement, is telling the people, your salvation, John chapter 3, is connected to the work of the Holy Spirit. Your salvation is connected with the one who sent me. Your salvation is connected to me who came to die on the cross. And so when we see Jesus, guess who we also see? We see the nature and the glory of the Father. And so if there's anybody in the room this morning who's going, well, if I, if I could just, you know, I, I grew up in a, in a home where my father was this, and, and I didn't have a really good picture of what the Father's like, and I just really wish I knew what the Father was like. And Jesus wants to say to you this morning, read about me on the pages of Scripture. Read about me, and here's what you will know about who I am. I love those who don't get it right, and I'll call you to relationship with me. I love those who are confused about so many things. I am the perfect Heavenly Father, and Jesus came to reveal that we have this reality in Christ. In a couple of months, we will get to John chapter 14, and there's a conversation that Jesus is talking about. He's going away, and he's talking more about that when you see me, you see the Father. And and one of the apostles named Philip says, Lord, if you'll just show us the Father, that will be enough. Can you just like pop him in the room, and we could kind of see him? And Jesus says to Philip, have you been with me so long and you still don't know me? Listen to what he's saying. You've been with me so long and you don't know me, Philip? Listen, Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I've shown you who he is by the way I live and the way I talk because the way I live is the way he lived and I say his words. And so when you see me, when you hear me, you are seeing the heavenly Father. So knowing the revelation of Jesus, and here is making this last statement, when you see me, I'm telling you, I have come to reveal what He is like. You have a perfect Heavenly Father who loves you completely and He's willing to give up His only Son so that you could be brought into relationship. And so the second aspect of Christ's message and the true essence of our salvation is that not only when we believe in Jesus that we believe in the Father and we believe in the Spirit and His work, that when we see Jesus, we see the Father. Thirdly, this morning, look at 46. We, the true essence of Jesus as He came into the world, 
is that we need to see him as light. So 46 says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And I want to I strongly emphasize this to us this morning. We should not minimize at all the consistent reference from Jesus himself calling himself light. This is really important. For him just to say it one time is important. But for him to say this on a consistent basis, and for the writers to say this on a consistent basis, that there is, there is a perspective that we need to see about Jesus, that he is the light of the world and the necessity that we need for him. So let me just share a few. If you're taking notes, you can write these references down. John 1.4, In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John 1, nine, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. John 3.19, and this is the judgment, the light has come into the world. John 8.12, Jesus once again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John 9.5, as long as I am in the world... I am the light of the world. John 12, 35. So Jesus said to them, The light is among you just for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest the darkness overtake you. And the one who walks in darkness does not know where he is going. So while you have the light, believe in the light. And as you believe, you will become sons of light. So listen to what Christ is emphasizing. The true essence of our faith is to bring us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of what? Light. That we would know how to walk, how to live, what to speak, how to love, and how to understand who He is. Darkness clouds everything. And it will only continue to lead people to be separated from Him or continue to lead people into error. Darkness clouds judgment, but the light brings clarity. It brings a perspective so that we know who God is and what He wants for us in our lives. And so as Jesus refers to Himself as the light of the world, this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament passages that the light was coming, a light was coming to bring salvation. Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 60 verse 1, Arise, shine, For your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? So look what we've just looked at already. Whoever believes in me believes not just in me, But you're believing in the Father who sent me. When you see me, you see the Father. You know exactly what He is like. And I have come to be the light to give this great revelation of who He is. And so Jesus is the light. We know by Him affirming this and the writers affirming this reality of Him over and over again. The Apostle John later will write a letter to a group of people. And he will write these words in 1 John chapter 1, verse
verse 5. Wanting us to know the glory of Christ as the light. This is the message that we have heard from Him. John's saying, I heard this from Him. I followed Him. I heard Him say this. This is the message we heard from Him. And we proclaim to you that God is light. And in God, there is absolutely no darkness at all. But if we say that we walk with Him, we have fellowship with Him. While we walk in darkness, then we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And not only that, but the blood of Jesus, His Son, amen, cleanses us from all sin. Though we have so many sins, His mercy is more. So Jesus, thirdly, in this last public declaration, declaration, wants us to be reminded of something He's saying. He is the light of the world. Let's look at 47 and 48. So this message was for people to respond to it. They would either respond by faith or they would reject. So look at 47 and 48. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. And the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Again, this is another theme that Jesus has already spoken in his conversation in and around with Nicodemus. John three seventeen and 18. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. And whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, i got to deal with this because if you read some of the other places in John's gospel about judging, you might go, Jesus, you're contradicting yourself. Because there's some other places in John where Jesus says, the Father has given me all authority to judge, but now he's just said, I'm not going to judge. I didn't come to judge, so what in the world is it? Well, here's, here's how, how we can understand it. When he came the first time, was it to bring judgment? No, it was to bring salvation. And then he lived his life, he taught, the apostles taught, modeled him, proclaimed him. So yes, in a sense, there was a judgment, but not a final judgment. There was a judgment in the revelation of Christ that comes in anybody who rejects that. But the reason he came was not to to condemn the world. The first time he came was that the world would be saved. But there's coming a final judgment, and so what will happen at the final judgment? The Son will judge the world in regard to those who believed and those who did not believe, and those who did not believe and come to faith in Him, they will be rejected and they will be judged. So his point here is that he didn't come in his first coming to judge the world, but to provide salvation through his substitutionary death on the cross. But there will be a last day, there is coming a day, where there will be a final judgment. And at that time, it will be the words of Jesus, the gospel, the gospel proclamation that will bring judgment upon people's lives. So look at 47. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, 
I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So Jesus will judge the world, but not at the present time where he is speaking there. For his present purpose was to come to save the world through his death and his resurrection. But again, make sure we don't misunderstand. There is a judgment that comes by not walking with Christ in this life. But there's coming in the future a final judgment, a final reality that was there where there will be a judgment for those who reject him. And when we believe, we move from a place of standing under the the judgment of God, the coming judgment of God, come and we move from that place from darkness into light and into life. And this comes because of the glorious grace and mercy and offer of salvation that is connected to his life. So the essence of our faith, the indisputable quality of our faith is connected in this offer and it becomes glorious to those who respond to the call to believe, but to those who reject, eventually the words of Christ will come to them to bring a judgment. It's kind of like this. And I want what I'm about to say here to fall heavy in the room in a good way. There are people that have been to youth camp. They've come to church. They've had a parent that shared with them or a spouse that shared with them. And they heard the message and they went, don't want it. I'm not interested. There's, there's a judgment that's coming in the very end. Revelation talks about it. Where those who've rejected Christ, the words of the gospel that you must believe in Jesus. And if you have not believed in Jesus, the words of the gospel, the truth of the gospel, fall in a judgment upon those people. For they have heard. They heard it. Faith comes from hearing, Romans 10, 17. And hearing how? Through the word of Christ. So many people have heard. Not all believe. And though they've heard, and when they've heard, that's what Jesus is saying here. My words, they have a judge, those who reject me and, offer, and reject the salvation. The words about my life and my works and who I am and my, my living to reveal who the Father is. My, the word of me and the words that I taught... There's a judgment that's coming, and this word will judge people at the end that they have rejected. And so this is both a warning of judgment to come. It's also an appeal in the room this morning to believe. And both of those are expressions of God's great love for sinners, to avoid the judgment and to come to know Him right now. Jesus said one of the most powerful things, and Matthew recorded it for us, Y'all remember the prophet Jonah? Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh, go to your enemies, and I want you to preach to them. Nope, I don't want to do that. Jonah goes, tries to go to as far away as he could, tries to get to Spain. Well, doesn't work really well. He gets thrown overboard. He gets swallowed by fish. Then he gets spat up on the shore. He goes into Nineveh, and he preaches. And what happens in Nineveh? The whole town, the whole city repents. And Jesus is talking to his generation, the same generation that he's saying these words here in John chapter 12 to. And so Matthew, another eyewitness, wrote what Jesus said on that day. And this is what Jesus said. Matthew 12, 41. 
You know, the men of Nineveh are going to rise up at the judgment and they're going to judge this generation that I lived in the midst of. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and behold, something or someone greater than Jonah is in your midst. And y'all are rejecting me. So the quality of our faith comes in the great confession that Christ is Lord, that Christ saves, and the great tragedy comes in rejecting His words. All right, on your seat was a piece of paper. Would you grab it just for a second? That's for you to take home. I don't want to come to where I see you sitting, and I remember, and throw these pieces of paper away tomorrow. Put it in your Bible, okay? The essence of our faith, and we're going to finish up things here with 5 and 6, is connected to the words of Christ. Surprise, surprise. For believers, our relationship with God is defined in every kind of way, in every kind of situation, connected to the words of God. Jesus revealed the Father in words. And in these last public words, there are key things that he speaks here. He uses the phrase spoken, commandment, what to say, what to speak. Commandment is eternal life. What I say, I say as the Father told me. Seven phrases he uses here in this final public declaration to say, you need to embrace what I am telling you, for this comes from the Father, for we are one. Seven closing phrases, words from Christ about the importance of God speaking. So let's talk about those, and I'm behind on my boxes. So let me put a couple more boxes up for us. Jesus speaks the Father's words. We must embrace those words. Twenty-two times in John's Gospel... He gives affirmation why the words of Jesus matter. What they do. So let's look at a few of them. Look at number two. Jesus speaks the words of God in boundless measure in the Spirit. John 3.34 For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. Look at number five. No abiding word means somebody has not believed. And you do not have His word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom He has sent. Look at 7, John 6, 63. It is the Spirit, Holy Spirit. Again, another affirmation that the Spirit is God. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. And the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Look at number 10, John 8, 47. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. And the reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Look at 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. And the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. And yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will never taste death. Look at 15. 
Jesus' words are grounded in the Father's authority. John 14, 10. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his work. Look at John 17, verse 14. It's number 21. Jesus' words leads the world to hate us. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. All right, we're winding things down here. Again, I want to remind us, these are, this is really important. These are the last public words that Jesus speaks. He's summarizing everything that we've seen from John chapter 5. And notice what he's saying. My words matter. My words matter for this reason. I am God. But they matter a lot because the Father wanted me to say these things. So everything that I have done, everything that I I have said is connected to the Father's authority in my life. And so you need to embrace my words. And so the essence of the great quality of our faith is grounded in the Word of God memorizing it, writing it, hearing it, embracing it. Keep this piece of paper. Again, the Gospel of John, from John 1.1 to John 17.17, this affirmation from the Spirit leading John to write this Gospel, that the words of Christ matter. They are so important for us. And so, so that leads us to look at the life of Jesus. How did He live his life. And that brings us to the last point this morning is that when Jesus speaks, he speaks eternal life. So look at 49 and 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority. Let me stop there. Everybody look up here. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus have authority? That's not a trick question. Did he have authority? Yes. You notice what he says here? I want to show you the unbelievable humility of Christ. He has just as much authority as God as who? The Father and the Spirit. And notice, notice what he, that when he came here, he submitted himself to the leadership of the Father in every moment of the day in his life. And so here he says, though he has absolute supreme authority, look what he says here. I have not spoken on my own authority, though he has complete authority. He says, but the Father who sent me, He has given me a gift, and it was a commandment. What I am to say and what to speak. And look at 50. And I know, Jesus knows some things, by the way. And I know that the commandment that the Father gave me is, is, not hopes to be, is eternal life. So notice the last public words. So what I say, therefore, I say as the Father told me to say them. So I don't have a frame, but I want you to picture a frame. Picture frame. Four corners. Four corners. It's got four corners, but four pieces of the frame. And I want to show you what framed the life of Jesus when he was here. Because it's how you and I must live our life. We live our life not grounded in our authority. We live our life grounded in His powerful authority. 
God has power. God has the authority, ultimate authority. Now, He has granted authority to us as His people to exist and live and extend the kingdom in the world, but ultimately, He has the authority. Look what Christ says. Here's the first frame for Christ. He speaks in His Father's authority. We must speak the authority of the Scripture. So look at the first part of 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority. All that Jesus taught were not words of His own doing, that He was making things up, even though, again, again, this is part of that thing. But Jesus, when He came here, He submitted to the Father, and He lived in a way that He would speak what the Father told Him to speak, and He would say those things. And what the Father was doing, that's what Jesus did. He submitted in that thing. Though, again, though He has absolute authority, He was obedient to the Father, obedient all the way, Philippians 2 tells us, to death on a cross. And because of that, He has the name above every name. So Jesus says, I... I have not spoken on my own authority. So secondly, but he says in second part of 49, but the father who sent me, I spoke in his authority. He has himself given me a commandment, what I am to say and what I am to speak. The father gifted his son on this mission of salvation with a commandment that guided Christ's life while he was here. He was guided by the Father's perfect heavenly words. Now let me make sure that we don't miss this. This was not done, given to the Father. The Father didn't give this commandment to the Son because Jesus didn't have enough wisdom. And He needed some help. He's Jesus. But He did this to model for us how we ought to live our life. And, And so while He was here, The father told Jesus, he gave him a commandment. This is what you're going to say. This is what you're going to speak. This is how you're going to act. This is what you are going to do. And Jesus perfectly submitted to that. And it wasn't, again, it wasn't because he didn't have enough wisdom or enough knowledge. But it was done in intimacy that what the father does, what does the son do? What the father does. When the Father speaks, what did the Son do? He spoke what the Father said. And one of the great indispensable qualities of our salvation is connected to the truth of His Word. That Jesus never stepped away from the Father's heart and the Father's purpose for Him, but He said everything that the Father wanted Him to say. So we have this unbelievable, perfect example from Him. And so we see the parameters that the Father set for the Son. You're going to say what I tell you to say. You're going to do what I have told you to do. And Jesus willfully said, this is how I live my life. That when my Father does this, I do it. When my Father speaks this, I speak it. And I love I love living this way. And if that's the way Christ lived, how do you and I need to live? We live speaking the Father's authoritative words that have come to us through the Son and the Spirit. And so therefore, we also speak and live in the Father's commandment. That's why this week, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, we will read these words this week in the W4. If anyone teaches a different doctrine that does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and the teaching that accords with godliness, that person is puffed up, conceited, and understands nothing. Nothing at all. So we, for me this frees. Every week I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going next week. John chapter 13. I'm not trying to make up sermons. My responsibility is to do this, is to publicly proclaim what the Father said that the Son made known to us. And as we hear that, it brings incredible life transformation to our lives, to our families, to our church. It's the same idea that we read this week in 1 Timothy 4, where Paul told Timothy these words in verse 16, you keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. And then he says these words, you persist in this. This word persist means you can... You continue in this firmly, even if everybody opposes it and flees. For when you do this, he told Timothy, you will not only save yourself, but you will save those who are your hearers. So our own lives must be grounded in following the Scripture. The Son made known to us the Father's words. So our scriptural teaching is that we faithfully proclaim what is written. We persist in it when our culture opposes it. We speak it, we stand on it, we pray it. And as we do that, not only will we keep ourselves in line, but it will also keep those who are around us in line and walking with Him. And we'll get to 2 Timothy couple weeks second timothy chapter 2 verse 15 says this timothy do your best to present yourself to god as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed how, how does how do we do that here's what he tells timothy rightly handling the truth the word of god the word of truth so for christ he spoke his father's authority secondly Um, He spoke and lived in his father's commandment, what to say and what to speak. Thirdly, this commandment, these words, they are eternal life. Again, I want to go to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the words of Jesus that he told us that the father spoke, they are eternal life. So we could come in here Sunday after Sunday and I... I know, I, I know I'm real serious on Sunday mornings. I know that. I'm actually really fun. If you've ever been around me away from this, I think I'm fun. Maybe, other, maybe you don't think I'm fun. But I love to laugh. But I just, and I like to laugh here sometimes. But I think sometimes we come to these texts and they're just serious. And there's a sobering nature to them that we need to feel the tension that's there. Because again, Christ was pleading with those people. Come to the light. Come to the light. I'm telling you what the words of my Father are. And if you will embrace these words, they are eternal life. This commandment is eternal life. And so so we listen to what Jesus says, that He knows what eternal life is. And so every word that is written communicates this call to eternal life, to know Him and to Embrace the truth, and it begins now. 
Let's close with this thought. Fourth thing that Jesus speaks of here that framed these last words is the second part of verse 50. So what I say, he says, all these things I've been saying, what I'm saying, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. Every single word of Jesus is fully in line with the Father. Why? Because they came directly from what was said in relationship. Jesus is in intimate relationship with the Father. So as the Father spoke, the Son spoke. So what do we do? I can't see y'all. I want to see y'all. I can't see y'all over there. I'll put that there. So what do we do? Let's say we all grow old together. Some of you are older and you're going to die before some of us and we're going to go to your funeral, celebrate your life and you're going to be with him and enjoying him and we have to stay down here in the muck and mire and enjoy him here until we get there. But let's just, what do we do? What do we do for the rest of our lives? What should Christians do? What do we embrace? What should guide our life? Well, it's what we read this week. So if you come next week, you get to hear me shout again and walk through the scripture. Call us and plead with us to come to know the joy of him. If you come to this church and our elders and pastors and our members are still here, we're going to be doing the same thing 10 years from now on a Sunday. And if I'm still alive and preaching here in 15 years, if that's what God wants, we're going to do the same thing. And here's why. Do you know what Jesus practiced? Proclaiming his Father's words. Making sure that people heard the truth because it centers us back on him. So listen to this. Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 4. Timothy, I want to get back to Ephesus. Until I get back to Ephesus, this is what I want you to practice. Until I come, you devote, you be passionate about. Let this be the driving thing of your life. You devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. You read it, 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 you proclaim it, you write it to exhortation and to teaching. That is what Christ did. What's the mission of the church when you go and do evangelism or you go on a mission trip to Montana or to the DR or to Asia or to Africa? You know what you do when you go there? Hopefully, you better do this. You speak the words of Jesus. And when you speak the words of Jesus, we get ourselves in line with what he valued, and that was this. This is the commandment. This I know. My words, the commandment of my Father, is eternal life. And so everything the Father has proclaimed about me, that's why I'm calling you to believe in me as the light. Because as you come to believe in me, you become a child of the light, redeemed by the work and the words of the Father and the work of the Spirit. And here's the issue that's really important. And we are there today. 
So why did Timothy need to publicly read the Scripture over and over? Here's why. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Timothy, preach the Word. And you be ready in season when everybody's like, Woo! God's awesome. His Word's great. And you preach the Word when it is out of season when everybody's like, When's this over? Or I'm done. I'm not going to be a part of Christianity. You preach the word and you be ready in season and out of season. You reprove, you rebuke, you exhort with great patience and teaching. And here's why. There's a time coming, Timothy, when people will not endure the words of the Father anymore. And they will not endure sound teaching. And they're going to have itching ears and they will set up teachers in their life to teach them things that suit their own man-centered passions. And they're going to turn away, listen to this, they will turn away from listening to the truth and they will wander away into believing man-made stories and myths. So I want to just stake my life and your life this morning in this reality. The commandment of God is eternal life. And that commandment is to believe in the Son. So we believe in the Son. We believe in the Father. We believe in the Spirit. That they have done this great work. And that's why our salvation is incredibly secure. And it's awesome. It's awesome what He has done in Christ. Let's pray. Jesus, we fix our eyes on you. The author and